to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are, like I said, going to be continuing in this uh, series of um, Train Us for Eternity. Um, today, we're going to be focusing on the first of two sermons on mortification of sin. So that the idea of mortification just means to put to death or to kill. And the reason that we're going to be looking at it two weeks, the, the first week we need just an understanding of what, what uh, is brought out in this, this scripture, Romans 8. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, one of my uh, favorite guys, probably my very favorite guy, John Owen's work on mortification of sin. So we named our son Owen based off of um, John Owen and just uh, his influence on my life is one of the guys that I really was influenced by and loved this book. I try to go through this book two or three times a year. So I used to go through it three or four times a year. Um, and so uh, mortification of sin is what we're looking at. This week, kind of an understanding, uh, maybe a deeper, better understanding of sin. And then next week, we're going to look at some of the, the concrete steps that we can take to help mortify sin. And so and I, and I use the word help because there is our part of the equation, but we're going to see today, I hope you see the emphasis on the Spirit's part. So what we went through so far, just running through it real quickly um, on that train us for eternity, we took some time at first to look at know yourself and your doctrine. There's a lot of us who have grown up in uh, churches where they teach solid doctrine, but again, then you have these big you know, crises that happen, uh, big scandals that happen, or, or things where people are really knowledgeable and people are really um, focused on just their, their, the, the way all these knowledge points, but they're not real loving. They're not even aware that they're, they're just kind of jerks to people sometimes. or They're, they're so um, rigid on things that, that they're not loving at all. And so your, your great theology should lead you to grace and mercy and love. And yes, obedience is the given. It's part of it. And so we want to be obedient, but we should also be loving. And so um, that was those first couple of weeks. And then we looked at um, the idea of Sabbath rest. Do we understand Sabbath rest in the church? Do we understand pausing and looking at the Lord and his greatness and, and seeing why he paused on the seventh day? And he, he tells us to continue to do that. What does that look like? And we learn that Jesus now is our Sabbath rest. It's not a day. It's not a temple. It, it, Jesus is our rest. And then so we talked about abiding in him. Um, we, we, Andy brought in and talked to, come in and talked about the, the body maturing, speaking the truth in love. Are we able to do that as a people? Um, and then also we looked at disciple-making, that idea, what if just a handful of us took one or two people investing in a few, like Jesus did just the, the 12 disciples. He didn't try to reach the huge masses at first by 100,000 people gathering. He invested his life, um, the 98% of his life, in these, these 12 disciples. And that seems counterintuitive, but we saw that's why we're here now. His, his plan of disciple make his work. And sometimes churches have got so busy and programs or so many spinning plates that we really, uh, for a lot of people, go, man, I, I could be 30, 40, 50, 60. I've never discipled one person. I've never been discipled. So, man, go and make disciples. 
And, and sadly, sometimes in the church, that's, oh, I, I come and sit and I just listen. Well, that, that's a little bit of disciple making. That's a little bit of discipleship. It is a little bit of learning, but, but it's beyond that. And so um, we looked at that, and then we looked at being doers of the word. And then last week, we looked at a theology of adversity. And we learned those three main areas. And so last week tied into these two weeks about mortification. So last week, um, looking at the spiritual adversity, and we learned those three realms where um, in, in God's allowance, he allowed the first attack area being Satan and the demonic. And so there is true spiritual warfare between Satan and the demonic against us. Um, the second thing just being the fallen world that we live in, the culture, the politics, um, the greed, the, the corruption uh, of the, the fall of Adam and Eve that has affected everything from, from plants to animals to our own health to um, even the cosmos. That the, the, the fall has affected all of that. And, and so we looked at that as the second area. And then the third area, which we're tying into this week, is, hey, sometimes you're, you're swinging and praying against Satan and demons, and you're praying against all these politicians, and yet it's your own heart that's doing the greatest damage around your life, right? It's not the, the liberals out there doing this and the liberals out there doing that and the crazy Russians and the crazy North Korean. Like, sometimes you need to love your family real well. So, and so it's, it's our own heart. Yeah, that stuff's out there but sin in our hearts. So that's why we're taking this week to go deeper into the idea of you need to check out your own heart. And John Owen does a deep, masterful job. Um, it write, writes a whole book basically on one verse. And so we're going to look at that. Um, so this idea of mortification of sin. And so I want to warn you, this is not one of those light, comfortable, you know, um, uh, just Mickey Mouse type of things where you just kind of walk away going, oh, I feel so encouraged. Um, it, it may be exposing some things and revealing some things. Jamie and I, when we got to go on our trip um, a few weeks ago, we were at this hibachi grill. And so you know how the hibachi grill is kind of, the, it's cool, but it's also awkward because they sit you with people that you're not in a party with. And so you kind of just sit down and you're wondering like, so who are these people sitting now joining us at this meal, this table? And so um, I'm sitting here, Jamie lucked out and got the, 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 the corner side where she was not connected to them. And so she's around the corner right here at the table. I'm sitting here, here comes this guy and his wife. And then there's a couple of other couples that come. And so it's just awkward, you know, and you're, you're trying, kind of trying to get to know each other. Well, they strike up a conversation, they're talking. And Jamie, Jamie starts talking with this lady. And at first we're like, oh man, they're about our age. And he seems like really successful. And uh, then I find out, I think he's got like a doctorate in architecture. I didn't know he could get a doctorate in architecture. And so uh, maybe he was lying to me. And so um, anyway, so he's talking about architecture and all this stuff. And so really sharp guy and all this stuff. And his wife's talking with Jamie and we're going around the table. And then the, the I don't know, the grill master, the maybe Mr. Hibachi, whatever, whatever that guy is that, that's cooking, he comes and he's doing stuff. And so we're, I mean, this guy, Larry or John, or I forgot his name and you'll know why in a second. Uh, he, he's talking to me. And then all of a sudden his wife goes, hey, 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 hey. And the guy said, the guy cooking goes, butter, butter? Does, does everyone want butter? And so all of a sudden, mid-sentence, the guy stops. Ooh, ooh, gush, 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 butter, gush, 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 gush. And, and so I, I'm just stuck now. Like, what's, what's going on, man? Like, what happened? You're a normal human. This guy mentions butter, and you do something really, really weird. So, I, you know, so I'm just trying to just zone back in. I'm thinking about taking my chair and sliding it around to Jamie, but then, you know, I know he would have probably, like, picked up on, like, hey, you seem to, like, move away from me. And I'm like, well, I probably have to be honest and 
well, you know, you want to do that gush, gush, gush thing like that? That just kind of got me off. I don't think this is going to work out. We were kind of becoming friends. And so now that whole scenario that goes on. So then he goes on and immediately in my mind, I thought, what's he going to do when he does the little squirts the oil and the flame comes out? Because if he did that over just butter and sure enough, like as I'm, I'm not even listening to him now, I'm just waiting for I'm just staring at the guy waiting for him to do the onions. Sure enough, he, he's like, you know, he's getting ready. And again, and so again, I, I literally, just, I think I was zoned out. I didn't hear another thing from that point on. So um, some things got exposed and awkward. And, and that's what today you may feel like at certain times, you may realize, you know what? I may be that guy. And, and you're the person sitting next to yourself going, oh, I thought I was comfortable with myself. That's really weird. And that's really awkward. And, and God exposed some things. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Um, so um, the gospel takes all of this murky stuff that we're going to learn about sin, and it doesn't leave us there. Christ doesn't leave us in this horrific state, this weird state. The gospel is the answer to that. And so Christ dying is the one who takes away that sin and frees us from that. So we're going to see that. Um, um, we're going to be leaning on and gleaning wisdom from um, one of those scariest realities in all the universe, just a microscope looking at sin inside our own heart, the way sin works. But also we're leaning in and kind of gleaning wisdom from, like I said, John Owen. Um, so here's the verse. Um, it's Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Uh, Owen, One of Owen's famous quotes, he, so he took that one verse and he wrote a whole you know, thesis and a whole book on this. Now, it's a small book, but a lot of people have a hard time getting through the book. Like, he, he is, he's brilliant. He's deep. He goes into things. His wording is kind of different. So they've made all these abridged versions. Um, so as you try to get into Owen, um, it's, like I said, he's my favorite, um, but um, he, he just has some brilliant thoughts. But it can be difficult. So, But I would encourage you, go, in, go online, um, get... And it might be better to listen to someone reading it to you and maybe an abridged version. So it's more our, our contemporary English instead of the way he would have spoken it. And so um, he has this famous quote, be killing sin or it be killing you. And so he was in the 1600s. He had an understanding of sin that we just don't have. And so I think that we know there is sin, and we know that others sin, and we know that we do sin also, but like we don't really like to look at it. And Owen, as you're going to see this week, and if you get the book, you see, he, he goes, let's sit it down on the table, and let's just inspect it and inspect it and see what effects it's having in our life. And if you're not doing that, he would say, and the Puritans would say, how are you sure that you're even a believer if you're not doing this? And so he goes into some deep stuff there. Um, so uh, Owen, he was a Puritan theologian and pastor and author. And I've got to lay a little bit of groundwork here before we dive off into the section. Uh, he was considered one of the greatest minds in his era with guys like Jonathan Edwards. He and Jonathan Edwards are kind of put up as two of the most brilliant men for about, you know, a thousand years. And so Owen and Edwards, just phenomenal, um, gifted guys. John Calvin, Martin Luther, John Knox, Richard Baxter. Um, he was born in Oxfordshire, England. Um, in 1616, and he died in 1683. He had 11 children, 10 of which died in um, their infant stages. Just had one daughter. So, man, that's tough. That's, you don't just, you know, 
wake up the next morning, you're over that, right? And so, so God walked him along uh, he, through that. So, so a lot of melancholy. But boy, it would be easy to, quick to, easy to be quick to judge him, right? And like, man, uh, losing 10 children? How, how strong would your faith be? How much would you be embracing the smile of God? You know, Jackson got diagnosed with a broken finger yesterday, and I'm like ready to, you know, like the world's crushing in, and so like no, no huge deal at all, right? But like 11 or 10 children, and so the, 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 the walk with a loving God and to try to tell people how loving and wonderful and graceful this God is. Um, some great works. You can go just go Google him, some great things. Um, the works of John Owen, it's a whole series of books. Uh, he had a biblical theology that was wonderful, mortification of sin, sin and temptation, the death of death in the death of Christ. Um, one of his masterful works, that one, and mortification, this is two biggest ones. Now, let me, let me explain a little bit about Puritan thought. So I've got a slide here that shows, here's, you guys probably have learned this um, a little bit about me. So I don't fit in contemporary times. I do fit with the way the Puritans like to look at stuff. So they would they were described as like taking a, a diamond like that with all those little cuts. And what they would do, like this verse, Romans 8, 13, taking this diamond with a thousand little ridges, a thousand little cuts, and they would take just one of them and set it. And, and what I was told, they would go and exhaust just that one little bitty cut and exhaust all of their thinking, all of the thought, all of the meaning, all the depth of that, or people are like, okay, okay, whoa, we get it, we get it. And then they go, oh, we're not finished. Now we've got to turn to the next cut. So that's not the way we're wired, right? Like, I mean, you can just see, we, we don't think that way. We want it quick. We want microwave. We want quick trip. We want Alexa do this for me. Like, we're a people who, we have to have cars that drive for us. We have to have lights that we can just talk to because it's such a burden to go over and switch on uh, the light switch. Um, and so Jamie and I joke about, you know, when we get into our 70s or 80s and we're in a, a hospital room and we're, we're just needing a Tylenol, you know, and if the, the person who should have been trained or nursed or a doctor and they're literally like, hey, Alexa, add more morphine. So like, what if that doesn't work? Like we want someone doing live stuff, you know, and so are we going to be trusting in all of this stuff that if technology fails, we're just stuck in pain? And so they took it to a deep, deep level. Um, they understood things to a greater level. Um, guys like, here's some guys that, that were impacted by um, uh, Owen. Carl Truman, J.I. Packer, John Piper, Sinclair, Farmer, Sinclair Ferguson, Ray Orland Jr. Those are the guys who have said he is one of their biggest influences. So great guy. Um, his style, um, it leads to renewal and life-giving reality, but it's exhausting truth. It's exhausting truth, which leads to Life-giving. We don't think that way. We think, give me quick points, and, and I, want a, I want quick renewal. We think, give me the shortcut, give me the, the abridged version, give me the cliff notes, and I, I want change now. That, that, that's just our culture. It has been for about 60 or 70 years. So um, like some people have talked about Jane Austen's works, the first time that you read through his book is actually about the fourth time that you've opened it and read through it. You're starting to get stuff the fourth time you read through it. So I'm like, oh, now I understand more of what he's saying. Is that how we handle things usually? That's not it, is it? We, we would, again, we'd love the Cliff Notes version. So just a different type, just a different breed, different thinker. Um, you can either appreciate that or some people are like, I just hate that. You know, like, I don't want to even think that way. I don't have time for that. 
Um, I would suggest that if we did take time for that, that we might discover some of the satisfaction and pleasure and joy in the Lord that we really are seeking for. But again, everything else in our life is speed, 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 fast, quick fix, and, 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 and soul work, spiritual growth, maturity. L- look at the Lord's patience with you. Look at his patience, your repetitive pattern sin. And, and sometimes what we're going to see today we don't want to see it. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to hear conviction from the Holy Spirit. And so Owen was saying, if you miss that, you've missed everything. And I would even be concerned that you're, you've missed the faith if you're not listening to those things. And he wasn't big. He was, it wasn't, he was never accredited as trying to make people think they lost their salvation. But the Puritan group were always considering today, where is my heart with Christ today? Not I made a decision back then. Where is my heart with Christ today? So how many churches are, are considering that, trying to get their people to think through that? Instead of, hey, we've got a new thing coming up. Hey, make sure you uh, get your schedule this. Make sure you're doing this. Hey, we've got this thing going. So, so that's spiritual life in our culture. And they were going, where's your heart with Christ today? You don't even want to look at how uh, the depth of depravity in your own heart. And that's just the bad news. The good news is Christ takes care of that. The Spirit will help you. And so that's what Owen's getting at. Um, Owen's target was the deepest parts of the human heart. His source, what he loved to talk about, was the triune creator God who then revealed himself as the triune redeemer God. That it was the Father, Son, and Spirit, all in creation, that, that then revealed themselves as the redeemer. All the Old Testament law, all the systems, all the rituals were never going to save. But it was the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the same as what created all that, and those were shadows of what Christ was going to reveal in the reality of salvation and his redemptive plan. And so his conscience, uh, it was authenticity and vulnerability. He never liked to preach a passage that he hadn't went and spent time going, Holy Spirit, if there's still sin in my heart on this issue, I, I shouldn't even get up and preach about this. So he just took that to a serious level. Um, and so his, here's some famous quotes and things to consider. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it be killing you. Our Savior tells us, tells us how his Father deals with every branch in him that beareth fruit. Every true and living branch, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. He prunes it, and not for a day or two, but whilst it is a branch in this world. So if you are a living branch, in that little parable that Jesus tells, it's not the one time you get saved and and grafted in, and then he just leaves you alone. He's constantly killing off things that shouldn't be in your life. He's constantly pruning. And we don't like that aspect. And, and Owen's saying, if you're, if you're a true vine, if you're part of the living, um, connected to the true vine, you're, you're a true branch, you should be going through pruning. You should be experiencing conviction that leads to you killing off and cutting off sinful areas. And that, again, we just don't, we don't like that. We want a microwave quick trip faith that, that just makes it easy. And, and in fact, you know, for the church growth movement, it was big about the whole goal was to make you feel better about yourself when you walked out the door. I've literally been in staff meetings where uh, a couple of the, the media guys said, hey, people don't like the preaching. People don't understand the Bible. So our goal in the media area is for them when they're walking out the last two minutes, if we can make it really funny and real light and real entertaining the last two or three minutes with media, they'll want to come back the next day. 
So, so it's a marketing trick. Oh, I feel really good about myself. I'll want to come back next day. If they come back the next week, then you get their money. Is that, was that the church? Was that what Jesus was thinking? Like, that's not really it, right? You don't want to stand for him like, oh, I th- Jesus, I think you've got this all wrong. Um, you should have been you just you know, lifting us up and encouraging us all the time. Like, it was about our self-esteem. And he's going, no, you've missed it somewhere. So just completely different. Um, so that's why his masterpiece on sin was so important. So the last thing here before we dive off into this verse is um, the subject matter itself. Um, mortification. Um, it's putting to death, killing sin. It's the negative component of spiritual growth. So mortification is the negative thing. Vivification, again, a term we don't use, is the life-giving, adding to your life, learning the Christian virtues. So it'd be like if you're going to, hey, I need to lose weight, get myself healthy. The, the, the negative side would be, hey, don't eat these things. Don't keep eating cake and ice cream every day. If you're saying you want to lose weight, you've got to cut these things out. The negative part is cutting these things out. The positive things would you be, would be you going and working out, running, doing healthy, active stuff. The negative would be the, the mortification of those bad things. Um, so that's just part of the mortification of sin. You've got to understand both of those. Um, also, it, it's a lost art. We don't spend a lot of time talking about sin. Everyone knows nobody wants to hear about that. Um, and then also just the doctrinal depth. Again, it's not popular. This is from the Westminster Confession uh, 13, uh, one. I think. They who are effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are farther sanctified really and personally through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, so his work, by his word and the spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified, and they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So that type of thinking, to spend some time breaking that down, that's not what we like. But it may save some of us for us to take the time in that. So those are almost unrecognizable and definitely um, non-desirable in our state. I'm, I'm not going to hit on the things there. Next week I'll hit on these, the, the reasons that this is, uh, I'll bring it back up next week, that the reasons that this isn't uh, fitting for our culture right now, but it is fitting for the church. But let's dive off into um, Romans 8.13 there. And I'd love to read the, the section around it, but we're just going to hit on this um, verse. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you by the Spirit, but it, I'm sorry, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So Father, we do thank you for the truth of this verse, that the Spirit is the one who is bringing us regeneration, who is sanctifying us in work, that we must respond through faith and repentance. That is our part. But you're the one who brings that faith and the gift of repentance, the gift of confession, the gift of conviction. And you're the one who brings renewal. And then we respond in faith and obedience. And would you help us to understand both how dangerous sin is and how glorious Christ is in the work of redemption. In your name we pray. Amen. So, First of all, the first thing on this is just the conditional aspect. So notice Paul's argument. It's an if-then. He doesn't necessarily, a lot of times in the Gospels or in Scripture, he doesn't say necessarily if and then, but he'll say if you're doing this, this will happen. So if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So we saw this this law of sowing and reaping. Um, 
And so just a question for you to first consider. Again, so if you're reading this, you're having a quiet time, you're going afterwards, Monday morning, you're like, hey, this is what we preached on Sunday. Hey, am I doing that? Just conditional. Are, are you doing what it's saying to do here? It's a great thing to stop and ask. Am I mortifying sin or am I living according to the flesh? And so it's conditional. Um, if you are mortifying, you, you will live, and he's talking about eternal life right now, but also you will not have to fa- face eternal death after the, the, the first death. So he's talking about eternal life happening if you do that. When he says you will die, he's talking about the second death. So we all know that uh, you sin a few times and, and, and you don't just die immediately, right? And so he's talking about eternal death there also. Um, it's not works-based. Um, a lot of people would say, well, so does this mean that if we do these things, we, we get eternal life? No, it, it's a matter of the Spirit. Notice how he says it, by the Spirit. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's the difficulty of understanding. It's not just a matter of you and, and your own um, a, a ability or your own strength or your own self-will, your volitions and actions it's by the Spirit. It's a response to the Spirit as He's guiding and leading you. So here's another quote by Owen, uh, the same one. So are you mortifying? Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Um, Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it be killing you. First of all, for a lot of people, did you, did you know that we're supposed to be killing sin? Did you know we were supposed to be mortifying sin? And if you don't, you go, man, I, I guess I was thinking it was just all these things about the, the, me going and doing the Christian life. and I wasn't really aware of needing and learning how to mortify sin. And we're going to look next week at those concrete steps, our part through the Spirit. Um, are you presently learning to kill sin? Um, if we have not been doing this, why is that? Why is that that we've not learned how to kill sin? Is it because churches have kind of dropped it because they, they've tried to drop um, talking about sin? That could be part of it. Part of it, I think, is just our own laziness sometimes. It's a slothfulness, as we'll see as he brings up. Uh, he says it, it's a daily work. And we have to ask the question, would that fit with what Jesus is teaching? So if Owen says this and saying this is what Paul says, does that fit with Jesus? what Jesus is saying? So remember Jesus in uh, uh, Luke 9.23 there, um, if anyone's going to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So you see this idea of dying to self and, and taking up your cross, killing off things daily, and then f- following him in obedience. So see, you see mortification and vivification, walking in obedience, but also killing off sin. Um, so that's the first thing there. The, the second thing is the source. Notice it's the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the agent. He says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's not a push for you to make a decision, just wanting to do better, uh, follow your own self-willpower. Mortification from a self-strength, this is from Owen, mortification from a self-strength carried on by ways of self-invention unto the end of a self-righteousness is the soul and substance of all false religion in the world. So if it's based on your self-strength, you creating new steps, it will lead to self-righteousness and is part of the soul and the substance of false religion. 
So have you ever tried that yourself or, or seen people who are always looking for more and more rules, more and more tighter lists, dependent upon them controlling all the variables, inventing more and more steps and rules, and it leads to a self-righteousness. It leads to a legalism. So they're, they're trying to do these things. It's like the, the older brother in the prodigal God story trying to do all these things. And, but you're like, hey, you're, in doing all those things, you're not getting closer to God. You're not um, being more loving. You're not being more Christ-like. You're, you're just becoming more judgmental and self-righteous and arrogant, spiritual pride setting in. And so um, that's what Owen's getting at. Um, so that's the, the, the source, the power. Well, I want you to see that is the agent. So now let's look in uh, Ezekiel 36. This is uh, God explaining to the people of Israel at a, a particular time. Um, and you have to track with Israel where they're at, depending on um, who God has allowed to come in and kind of uh, take over them or make them slaves, or if now Israel is back on the rebound and they're doing well, they're being obedient. And so in Ezekiel 36, um, it's talking, the Lord's talking to Israel as a people but this is a, a section that, uh, like many places in the Old Testament, it's a shadow of what's happening with believers in the church also. It's a shadow of the Christian life. And so Ezekiel 36, uh, 25, uh, again, it's one of my favorite sections. Um, but he says, um, this is God speaking to our, about our hearts. And this is a picture of what the Holy Spirit does with every single individual that comes to faith. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. So fits Israel, fits us. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and that's a small s, spirit. And so that, that small s spirit means each one of us has a spirit in us. Um, I will give you a new spirit. So here's, here, here's the Holy Spirit coming to a dead soul. You're alive, you're kicking, you're choosing what you want to do. Holy Spirit, God says, I'm going to send the spirit, and he's going to... Breathe new life into your spirit. So now your spirit's made alive. I will put within you a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone, so the hardness from your flesh, to where you could not even obey God. And I will give you a heart of flesh instead of stone that's soft instead of hardened. And I will put my, capital S, my Holy Spirit within you. Old Testament, did the Holy Spirit fill the believers? The, the God followers, the God fears? No, he didn't. So New Testament church, Acts, kind of a new thing. Holy Spirit did not fill them and indwell them all the time. So that's why you read in the Old Testament where, and David was filled with the Spirit and did this. You don't see that the Holy Spirit come and filled everyone in the Old Testament. So that was the new power of the gospel going forward. And that was part of God's plan. I will put my spirit within you and cause you. The word cause there is this picture in the Hebrew there. It would be like you not being able to do something, but then it's it's not just like a rule that's on the, the wall that you go, oh, that's the rule, then I'll just go obey it. No, it's him empowering and enabling. You're aware of the rule. You're aware of the command of God. But remember what he had said repeatedly? I'm going to write my law on their hearts. And now he says, I'm going to put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. I'm going to allow you and enable you and empower you to be obedient because you couldn't do it on your own. Beautiful part. We, we, we miss that in the church. And be careful to obey my rules. So um, beautiful stuff that he's bringing out there. So that's the picture of the source of the Holy Spirit. So um, 
when you think through this verse, this, this verse, um, it's, it's about you by the power of the Spirit learning how to kill sin. So it's your part of that, but it's also the Holy Spirit empowering, enabling, convicting, bringing you renewal. Um, the third thing there is the duty is very clear, um, just that you should be killing sin. It seems obvious, um, and I, hopefully this builds into the reality of what we're going to talk about this next. But in Romans 7, he says, For I do not understand my own actions. So remember that famous part in Romans 7 where Paul's like, Man, I, I just can't even do the things I know I'm supposed to do. I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I, I fail. So Romans 7, 15, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And this is why... I too, this is building in Romans 7, building into Romans 8, 13. This is why Paul would say this and why Owen says this. This is why you must be killing sin because you think you're doing the right thing or you think that you're knowledgeable about all the rules, but you're not living it out. And we would all say, well, I'm really trying hard, but then if we're vulnerable and honest, no, just like Paul, I can't do it. I can't do it. I keep Failing. I keep failing. So many times in the church, if, if, if the preaching is, is always three things for you to go do, go do, go do, and we're not even aware of the sin, we're not even aware of these things that we're about to look at, then, then, then what are we trying to do? Um, so Paul's frustrated. Think about this Paul that we all look to as just this, the, the, the greatest Christian ever, and, and Paul's frustrated. I don't even understand my own actions. Um, he knows the rule. He knows the commands. He's met face-to-face with Jesus, right? He knows what the law is saying, and yet what mesmerizes and confuses him is he does exactly what he doesn't want to do, what he doesn't um, want to do, what he knows not to do. The list is not his safety net. Do you see that? The rules himself is not what he's living for. The rules himself is not your safety net. He's going, it's the spirit that I need. So that's why he says, by the Spirit, we put these things to death. Knowledge alone of commands, that's not enough. Um, So as we look at that, now I want to dive into specifically these six realities about sin. Okay, Here are six realities about sin that most times we just skip over. So the first one is, indwelling sin always abides while we're in this world. Indwelling sin always abides while we're in this world. So if we, if we don't understand sin's pervasive, immediate, and destructive presence, it will do more damage than we imagine. So we all do this. We all go, yeah, I know we're sinners, or I, I know we sin, but we don't really get into the specifics of that. And Owen's saying, you better understand sin to a greater degree, or it's doing more damage than you realize. Um, Romans 7 again. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul's saying, sin is inside me. It's pervasive. It's not going away tomorrow. It's uh, it's ongoing. It keeps on popping its head up. It's destructive. Um, He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. So think through that. But you ask Jesus into your heart. You've been taught that the Spirit dwells inside you, right? Anyone ever... Got to that conclusion that, hold on, I asked Jesus in my heart. I hear all this scripture about Jesus in me. The Holy Spirit's dwelling inside me. So then why did I go and do this? 
How did I have these kind of thoughts, these kind of lusts, these kind of desires, all these things, if the Spirit's inside of me? So then you know, it kind of leads you to, well, man, am I really a believer and all those type of things? And so those are some realities. So, so here's the deal. I asked Jesus in my heart, the Holy Spirit's in me, but Paul says that is, what I mean by that is in my flesh, my old sinful nature. Now, the reality of that is at the cross, if you're a follower of Christ, sin used to control you. And you still you could do good things. You could you know bake brownies for your neighbor. You you open the door for people. You were nice. You gave some money. But then when sin w- uh, was completely um, won over by Christ, then when He freed us from that, sin no longer controls the believer. Um, so that's like uh, Luther's bondage of the will. It's like yeah, you can do what you want inside this little cage of sin. So and you may be good inside this little cage of sin. What you need is someone to come and rescue out of this cage where the, the, it is a matter of the free will, but, but it's all under God's sovereignty in his freeing you from sin. And so Paul's saying, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Oh, so the Spirit is in me, but sin is so corrupting that even after being saved, sin still in my heart is still fighting for expression, fighting against the Spirit. He says, for I have the desire to do what is right, because you've been changed, Remember what, what we just read in Ezekiel. I'm going to give you a new spirit, and you're going to be able, and you're going to know about the law, and you're going to want to do the law. So that's what the work he's doing. Paul says, I, I, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So, Think through your own sin. Is it because you don't know what the rule is? Or is almost every time you know what the rule is and you go ahead and do it every time? You go ahead and do it again. And you go ahead and do it again. And especially pattern sin, you, you're even convicted. Sometimes even fearful. And you go ahead and do it again. And it's something that you know this is a pattern that I've got to stop. I've got to. And, and what do you do? And this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, this, this is us. This is how powerful sin is. Think through Satan coming and even going to Jesus. Satan literally thought, since he's human, I will probably be able to talk him into sinning. Remember that? Like He really thought, hey, when Jesus goes through the 40 days and the, and the temptation, and, he's, and he, he really thought, since he's human, and I know that because Adam needs fall, and now if he's coming fully flesh, I'm going to be able to talk him into sinning. Remember that? Like, that's, that's what Satan believes. So, of course, sin is always screaming that at you. It's okay that you do that. Go ahead and do it. It's okay. Go ahead and do it. It's okay. Go ahead and do it. Sin is always continually working and fighting and tempting us. So, crazy stuff um, that we, we would just look over. And if we're not thinking of sin as that dangerous, um, we're misunderstanding its ongoing pervasiveness. Um, the second thing there, he says, uh, that, uh, that I've got down is sin not only abides in you, but it's always active. Um, here's what Owen says. If sin be subtle and watchful and strong and always at work, so just right there, the first sentence, or is that how your view of sin is? If sin be subtle and watchful, like it's literally a living thing waiting for a chance to see you kind of leaning a certain way, looking at a certain thing, doing a certain thing, just watchful, crouching at the door. 
If, if sin be subtle, watchful, strong, and always at work in the business of killing our souls, and we be slothful, negligent, foolish, not even understanding it, in proceeding to the ruin thereof, can we expect a comfortable event? Sin is always acting, always conceiving, always seducing and tempting. So just, just some realities there. If we're unaware of sin's presence and how it works, if we're not repenting, if we're not responding to the Spirit, so again, if you're not a person, so remember our, our train is for eternity, I would suggest getting some time alone where you can sit, solitude and silence. Hey, Spirit, this, this last few hours, yesterday, for, for today, would you show me some areas? Would you begin to show and bring to mind things? So you're asking the Spirit to show you and bring conviction so you can become more Christ-like. If the whole church doesn't do that, then, then what are we thinking? What are we thinking how we're supposed to grow? If it's not by being convicted by the Spirit and then um, having confession of sin and then repenting of that sin, if we put all that away, we're completely unaware. And we're also foolish to, to the depths of sin. So then when the couple just immediately break up and you're like, they were together 23 years, what happened? Oh, there was something going on the whole 23 years. When the person goes off the cliff and does something crazy, when the person makes this decision and just alters all of their life, and we're all like, oh, what man, they were a Sunday school teacher? They were in the church for 10 years? Yeah, the whole time they were going through the motions and weren't doing the things that God had said, this is what you need to be doing. And if you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to do that, to do his work, you're being hardened. Sin is always doing that. In Galatians 6, um, it says, um, Galatians 5, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are always against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Here's what we see very commonly. I'm not taking time to seek out areas where the Spirit would point out something. <laughs> In silence, there, that thing, that right there, your thoughts, your quick judgments, your treatment of them, that thing, it's a pattern in your heart. You do it repeatedly. You do it daily. We, we don't want that. We want to remove ourselves from that. We want to escape that type of conviction. If, if we're not doing that, and allowing the Spirit time to do that, then, then what are we thinking Christ-like growth looks like? And again, sadly, a lot of us have been in places where it's just externals, or we just want, we're waiting for that person to give us the list. We, we think sermons or churches, the role is they're supposed to give you the right list so that I can keep the list and I can do all these things. And Paul's going, I got the list, and it ain't working. I've got the knowledge and it ain't working. I still keep sinning in all these ways. And that's why we spent those first couple weeks on be aware of yourself and your doctrine. What you're supposed to know should lead to you living out a certain way. We're not aware of it. We're blind to it. Therefore, we're hardened in heart without even realizing it. It's exactly what sin wants you to do, to be deceived. And then we get to places where we go, I just feel really distant from the people. I feel really distant from God. Have you, have you been doing anything? No. That's what's, you're being deceived. You're being slothful. 
And then, and then what happens, then we become real critical. We get removed, and now I just can't stand all of you. I mean, all the things. You drive me crazy. When I do come to a group, God, they're, just, they're driving me crazy. When I come to church, they're just driving me crazy. And that, you know what's easy? We just got to move on. Thank God for COVID, right? That we, now we just got a really, really good, good reason to move on. And so now that, that's what's happening. We're being deceived. We're being hardened. And we're not doing these things that, that, that John Owen said, you should be doing these things daily. We don't do them in a week or in a month sometimes. Listen, sin is always present, always abiding, always actively working. We may want to rethink an uncaring, slothful, lazy response. If you're not having spiritual growth, we may want to rethink why that's going on. Sin not only, the third one is sin not only abides and is active, but it always aims at the utmost destruction. Remember, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Demons, Satan, and sin, they're not wanting you to trip. They want your whole life destroyed. They want your whole family destroyed. So that's why Jesus said those things like, hey, some of you think that oh, it, it, it's sin it, 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 to be a murderer. I'm telling you, if you're walking in anger, you've already committed murder. So we're like, that, that, that's not the same thing. And he's going, let me reveal to you the depth of what sin does. It's always aiming at the utmost destructions. Anyone listen to the Mars Hill podcast? They had the ripple effects. We have 10 guys on there that I've just now I'm friends with who went through some of that junk. And guys who are part of the eldership and guys who, man, they, they just, they hurt and hurt and hurt for years. And hundreds of people who just said, we're done with the church. This is why we didn't want a church in the first place. Willow Creek, all the stuff that's happened. Um, Ravi Zacharias, man, I, I used to want to work there. Um, the, the Catholic Church, the SBC lately, the abuses and the cover-ups. How about you? Your pattern sin. See, we can quickly throw those things in. So sin is always aiming for the utmost destruction. That's what it wants. Um. We've just seen how it's always present in us, always active, but it also wants the utmost destruction. The fourth one is sin abides, it's acting, it's aiming at utmost destruction, but we must have the Spirit who enables and and empowers us to perpetually overcome sin. This is why God's design was not you doing things in your own strength. But yet again, for most people, we just want the list. Where's the book that tells me to raise perfect teenagers? Where's the book that tells me that, that, to, to have a perfect marriage? Where's the book that gives me the rules? And so a lot of times, we're not doing the things that, that, that lead to the Spirit having time to show us those things. We're just wanting lazily for someone to tell us what to do, to make it easier. Um, Owen says this, the foolishest thing in the world is to bind him, the Spirit, who fights for our eternal condition. So the Holy Spirit, not listening, not giving time, not seeing what he wants to show us, needs to be cut out, confessed or convicted over. We bind him and let him alone, leave him alone, who seeks and violently attempts our everlasting ruin. The contest is for our lives and souls, not to be daily employing the Spirit and the new nature for the mortifying of sin is to neglect that excellent secure which God has given us against our great enemy. So it's like a doctor says, you've got cancer, and you say, well, I'm just going to tell myself I don't have cancer. 
you've got sin. Well, I know, but it's just not that serious. You've got cancer. Well, I'm going to do some push-ups instead of chemo. That's, you can't do it on your own power. You need a strength outside of yourself. I've got cancer, but I'm just going to take one Tylenol instead of the chemo. It's in the medicine family, but it doesn't have anything of the power that's needed to get rid of cancer. And so that's what we do. We don't realize that it's the Spirit. And so Owen makes the press. It must be the Spirit. As we saw in Ezekiel 36, I'm putting my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey. Um, the, the fifth and sixth thing is we are, it's negligence when there's no mortification, which means that grace withers and lust flourishes. Like I said, we're more critical, more judgmental. We're not patient, long-suffering, graceful with people. And it destroys our, our own heart. And we think it's just those people out there that are frustrating and weird and the gush, gush, gush guy. And then if we start taking a look at sin, guess what? You're looking in a mirror and you're the gush, gush, gush guy. You're the awkward, exposed one with all this weirdness coming out and needing to change. Um, and the last one there is the duty of growing in holiness. Mortification is a huge aspect of growing in holiness. Um, if we leave out that subject uh, of being of being spirit-led, we're not going to grow in holiness. Again, we're looking for the list, and Paul's going, the list is not working. I'm not even able to do it. In all my self-will, all my strength, I'm meeting with Jesus, I still can't keep all the rules. I'm befuddled by this. I don't even understand why I keep failing at this. So it must be through the Spirit that you put to death the deeds of the flesh. The gospel gives us the answer to all of that bad news of sin. So each week as we do the Lord's Supper, we, we're reminded, hey, we can't do it. Thank you. We take the, we, we take the, the, the blood of Christ and we take the body of Christ um, and we, we think through what that means symbolically that it's because of this, this juice that we drink. It's because of his body broken that reminds us, this last week I failed miserably. Thank you that you're sufficient. Thank you that your blood covers my sins that I wasn't able to keep up with this week. This upcoming week, I need this as a reminder. I proclaim it to myself, and I proclaim it to these people around me that this is the answer. So as we go through this, it's a, it's a deep, dark um, thing about sin, and you, you may have not went to those depths sometimes. And if you go into Owen's book, I, I literally was just hitting a couple of high points in there. If you go into that, it can be spiritually depressing. Uh, I taught through systematic theology a couple times, and so when we went into the... Uh, nature of sin and some different things there, uh, nature of the flesh and nature of sin and original sin. Like it was about a two month thing. And like, I didn't even realize that I was literally depressed after eight to 10 weeks of teaching about just how deep and dark our sin is. So uh, maybe heavy as Matt comes back up, um, we're going to partake of the Lord's supper. And so as we do that, like I said, we, we want to look at not just now our sin, but to be thankful and grateful and amazed at what Christ has done as we partake of the Lord's Supper. So um, as we do that, if you're visiting, um, we do it as a open communion, meaning that um, you can join us, even if you're not a member here, if you're uh, visiting from another church, as long as you're not in just um, complete running from um, a church discipline from another church, um, then please feel free to partake of that. We do it in a way where we are examining our hearts, 
but we're also asking the and that we're asking the Holy Spirit to show us things, bring out things that we may be looking over. But we're also wanting to celebrate and not to get stuck in just our our, our depravity. We want to lift our gaze up and behold Christ to to proclaim to our own hearts that this is what's true. This is what we're looking forward to. That, that sin is being slowly and one degree by another being rid and being mortified in my flesh. And that's what we do every week as we partake the Lord's Supper. I'm going to pray over that, and then you guys can go and partake of the Lord's Supper. The, the pieces are on both sides, uh, the elements, and then uh, Matt will lead us in one more song. So, Father, we come to you thanking you for um, wonderful men like John Owen and Paul who were brave enough, and uh, you had enough grace to show them the depths of our sin. And so we see even just with one verse, Father, that we are a mess, that we are in great need of you. We also see that we have a tendency to pull up our bootstraps and to try to get busy, and we need the Spirit to come. We must have the Spirit working in our lives. He must be guiding us, convicting us, bringing renewal. We can't do that on our own. And so we thank you that your design um, exalts you and brings us humility. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, we, we look at the body of Christ broken on the cross and all the depths, all the scariness, all the things we do not even like to look at about our own sin, that Jesus took every bit of that on. That he substituted himself in our place, his body for us. He became a new Adam, restoring, redeeming, renewing us. His blood spilt out as the atoning sacrifice for everything that all of us put together as, as a corporate body and even us as individuals have done against your holy law that he redeemed and restored. And we celebrate that now. We thank you for that grace. Where sin would want to um, condemn, we thank you that the gospel of grace is greater. I pray for people that may already struggle with um, um, a heaviness on their failures, their sin. Uh, I pray that you would show them the beauty of grace. Show them the, the truth of the gospel. I pray for those who take sin lightly and struggle with being slothful, indifferent, um, not enough time for the Spirit. I pray that you would let them see the life that it promises, that living without the Spirit, trying to do it in our own strength, our own rules is only leading to um, just futility. We pray that you'd allow us grace in this time. In your name we pray. Amen.